My real goals and ambitions are to solve problems. You know, I see a problem and I'm like outraged by it. And then I want to solve that problem. And I get quite obsessive about it. And I think taking initiative is part of problem solving and finding unique and innovative ideas to solve that problem. And naturally, I think in doing so, you fall into leadership positions because you're being a trailblazer you're pushing forward a new idea and you're trying to get everybody to come along to follow you so that you improve the world you improve society and you create solutions to complex problems hello and welcome to the women of the future podcast a podcast made in collaboration with the women of the future program a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders as well as support and celebrate the successes of women I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Chantal Epp is an award-winning entrepreneur and the founder of Click and Clear. She set up her first company, Synergy Sounds, a music production company for cheerleading whilst at university. Following her time working in sync licensing, Chantal took the opportunity to merge her two passions, cheerleading and music, and founded Click and Clear, providing global music licensing within performance sports. Chantelle is still an active athlete and advocate for Paracheer, disability inclusive cheerleading, and has travelled the world helping national federations start teams, as well as building Click and Clear into a global solution across multiple sports. Chantelle was a recipient of the Woman of the Future Award in the Entrepreneur category in 2019. She also featured on the Kindness and Leadership 50 Leading Lights list in 2020 as a rising star. I grew up in kind of Rains Park area and I mean my mum and my dad were together at the time so they did separate when I was 15 and both of them were working parents so they were quite full on with work my dad was traveling a lot never around that much and I went to school in some sort of the local area you know not too far away from where we were living and yeah I mean I had two brothers one almost 10 years older one about a year and a half younger so I was I guess exposed to more adult life early on and quite independent as definitely encouraged to be really independent from a really young age we were always to pack our own school bags and anything <laughs> we forgot was our problem not anyone else's and I think that's partly because we had two working parents who were both in very intense jobs you know, not getting home till eight o'clock at night uh, often or even not being around so yeah I think it was quite an independent upbringing in some respects and I spent a lot of time with my brothers who also kind of helped support me and I support my younger brother kind of in turn went down the chain in some respects. And it sounds like you were very proactive at school. I was just kind of looking at you on LinkedIn and the activities and societies that you were part of. So the choir, orchestra, hockey, netball, tennis. Did that independence that you were talking about just feed into your desire to go out and experience everything? I don't like to sit still 
Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a really active person and I get bored easily. And I think a lot of the activities that I was doing was to kind of help me not get bored, really. Yeah, I just got involved in a lot of different activities and encouraged to do so. And thankfully at school, I had the opportunities to do that. So music was a really important thing to me. I was less good with sport, which is ironic now being (laughs) so heavily involved in cheerleading. But yeah, sport was not my forte, but I did enjoy it. And so I would get involved a lot with school choirs, orchestras, quartets. I did hockey, netball. I don't think I was ever on the A team in sport but certainly made my way there to some respect as I grew older. So how did cheerleading come into it then because in my mind I see it as quite an American sport and even now there's a Netflix series called Cheer and also the Hollywood movie Bring It On and I think anyone who is of that era probably associates it with things like that but for you when did you discover it and how did you discover it and how did it become part of your life? So I discovered cheerleading at university. It was something I was always interested in. I didn't actually know a lot about it when I joined at university, but it is something that is done in most UK universities these days. And they had freshers fair. There were cheerleaders there. They were like, oh, why do you come join the cheerleading team? I was like, yes, definitely. (laughs) So I gave it a go, fell in love with the sport. It's not that typical American like sideline cheer that, people stereotype it to be it was more competitive cheerleading stunting acrobatics type movements I was never a gymnast but actually having to learn to do those kind of movements was really interesting and exciting and fell in love with the sport I became captain of the squad for the final two years of university and it went from there I joined an all-star team in London and then had an opportunity to compete at the world championships with team England Parachir character being the disability inclusive side of the sport now also called adaptive abilities and we're working towards getting that into the Paralympics so my partner founded that side of the sport he created the very first team England parachute team to showcase and then compete a year later and we've since been training together and traveling around the world helping to grow that side of the sport and cheerleading did recently just get recognized by the Olympics at the beginning of the Olympic ceremonies this year and we are hoping very soon that the Paralympics will be around the corner meaning in a a few years because it happens every four years right but yeah it's all coming together. It's quite remarkable really your own story do you feel like you are a natural leader do you feel like you like you were just describing you bought into cheerleading you loved it you were really enthusiastic and passionate about it and then obviously subsequently with parachir and all your work in that regard do you feel that and again maybe harking back to the independent side of you do you like to take the initiative and run with it and forge forwards as the person responsible is that part of your nature yeah I think in terms of leadership that seems to be a byproduct of what I like to do. My real goals and ambitions are to solve problems. You know, I see a problem and I'm like outraged by it. And then I want to solve that problem. And I get quite obsessive about it. And I think taking initiative is part of problem solving and finding unique and innovative ideas to solve that problem. And naturally, I think in doing so, 
you fall into leadership positions because you're being a trailblazer you're pushing forward a new idea and you're trying to get everybody to come along to follow you so that you improve the world you improve society and you create solutions to complex problems and therefore your decision then to study a commercial music degree which is what you did and you got a first from the uni of westminster that was then synonymous with the work that you were doing within cheerleading right that was no coincidence you were paving your way on this trajectory is that right yeah so i always um well music has been a passion of mine since i was basically born and i wanted to work in the music industry against some of my family's wishes so i studied i went and found a course that wasn't just music production or studying classical music that didn't excite me i wanted to learn about the modern music industry and music business because i saw that there was huge opportunity to improve the ways that some things exist and it was just a case of finding what that might be and so i went and studied commercial music at university of westminster absolutely loved it and of course then joined cheerleading at university and then I spent halfway through year two and year three on my various different projects at university working on a music production company for cheerleading and dance because I found doing my hobby at university cheerleading that they needed music so I needed to create music to accompany the routines and found that there wasn't really anyone in the UK doing that. And I learned the whole history of cheerleading and basically did a degree in cheerleading and music um, <laughs> to some degree and put that all together to create this music production company called Synergy Sounds. And from there, a tutor of mine suggested that I should get into music supervision, putting music to film and TV and it kind of ties in the creative aspect of putting music to a brief and then licensing it, the business kind of negotiation aspect. So I went and started working in music licensing, which I did part time to support myself with my music production company. And I learned a lot. I was working for a music licensing company, pre-clearing music for online and digital content. And sadly, that company went into administration, then later got acquired. So I found my place in position where I'd walked into work one day and didn't have a job to come back to and it was the same week or pretty much within the same week that cheerleading had been sued by a major label and I was like well that's a problem that's currently <laughs> affecting my other business and my hobby how can I solve that problem and I spent that time where I didn't have a job creating a business plan for what has become to be quick and clear that's a massive piece of reframing right there, isn't it? But like you say, you almost like you're turning like the most enormous negative into a positive and you're finding the solution in the problem again, which is what you were speaking about earlier on. And you also sound in the way that you speak, you're so focused and almost formidable in where you're going. And how has it been, I guess, being a female entrepreneur in this space? You were saying there wasn't really anything to go by. There wasn't an example to aspire to. So you had to do that yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, being a female entrepreneur, it's definitely challenging. But I had a lot of inspiration because my mum, she started her own dental practice when I was 15. And that partly led to me wanting to start my own company. And part of the drive behind starting Synergy Sounds and then later Click and Clear. And I helped her 
I've worked for her for about eight years doing her accounts and bookkeeping and I created her logo I think in the <laughs> early days and all her marketing and leafleting everything to get her all set up I was her receptionist and I learned a lot about business so seeing her strong independent female figure capable of starting her own dental practice and it being very successful I felt well you know I can do something myself too dentistry was not anything I was interested in but I knew music was something that I loved to do and it was a case of just finding the right thing the right problem to solve Mm. that was interesting that I was passionate about and like in a way fell on my lap the universe came together and said this is what you should do and follow Mm. and I did from there and my path you know I started I'm a sole founder I started completely on my own and I went through and got a government startup grant to help me start the company, get the legal agreements I needed. And through the contacts I had in the music industry, I then went and built the company, did the deals we needed to do, got the platform in place, found investment. And still, you know, finding investment as a female entrepreneur is incredibly difficult, especially when you've got a company that's working in and around the creative industries. It's a heavily underfunded sector. And so there's no better time to be a female entrepreneur than right now. But there are still many barriers to succeed. And it was kind of funny is the company I used to work at, my old boss, he also started a company around about the same time as me doing something similar, but in a very different market with completely different music rights required. And when you look at his path, and you look at my path, it is completely different. And his route to investment seems like he's had more access to more money, you know, and but then in some respects, we've had better success in signing labels and publishers and getting the content in place. And I often compare the two and try to look at, well, why is that? What are the differences that are causing him the ability to get access to more investments than us and so what conclusions have you drawn is it a sex thing or was it an experience thing I don't like to always bring everything down to gender but I do think that that has partly played a role I know I've definitely experienced discrimination and there's some very interesting cases which I won't go into but I think part of it might also be because he's older so there's an age issue too I mean I look like I'm 15 so it doesn't doesn't help me ever um be happy when you're and, 50 and you look 30 I'm sure yeah. at that point yeah I'll be happy then but when you're starting a business and you look like you're 15 people don't take you as seriously I mean I literally I went to an investment event the other day and the amount of people who would say oh so what company do you work for or mm. you know oh so I've explained the company and they're like oh so what do you do in this company that yeah, you're explaining and I'm like well it's my company so uh yeah you know that does exist I don't like to talk about that too much because I, I think there's always other ways around but it's important to acknowledge that I think there is a difference in that Yeah, I suppose what you're alluding to is unconscious bias to a point which we can all be guilty of, right? You literally just stereotype people. Like you say, you look at someone and think, oh, she doesn't look that she's old enough to do this job. And why would I give her the time of day or just assume that company isn't hers? All of those kind of things. But 
I think what you were also speaking about earlier in regards to the skill sets that you'd learn when you work for your mum, you know, the bookkeeping, the accounting, those are all really fundamental skills and qualities that are imperative, aren't they, to launching your own business. And if you're not up to speed with things like that, I'm sure you would quickly either have to learn them or probably see your business go under relatively quickly too. So you had quite a strong founding, it sounds, in the entrepreneurial philanthropic world. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very thankful and grateful to have had those opportunities because I think my ability to manage finances is why we're still here. Why we as a company have made it through a pandemic when sports have been obliterated. Mm. And the ability to present numbers to investors and then raise that excitement and tell a story all stems from those previous experiences that I had growing up and watching my mum build her own business. So would you say along this journey for you has there been a standout moment or maybe a person I mean we talk a lot on this podcast about the importance of mentors and coaches and things like that but has there been anything like that for you along this path? Yes, uh, with my company, I've got different mentors for different parts of my life almost. And for the company, I have two mentors, though one is more of a colleague these days, but I have a business mentor who I met through the government startup loan that I had received. And we've caught up every few weeks for the last three and a bit years, maybe four years now. He's seen me through basically the entire process always happy to give advice and it's just been great to constantly catch up with him give him an update and get a different angle on what we're doing he's incredibly supportive of women he's actually recommended that I applied for the women of the future awards and strongly encouraged me to apply for awards for the company for myself and for members of my team then there's also my colleague David Walsh who actually invested in the company and is the lead investor and I see him as a mentor as well as a colleague but he has taught me a hell of a lot about running a business he worked with arm and frontier developments building them into billion dollar companies very successfully IPO'd so he's got a lot of understanding in tech IP marketing business strategy I mean I don't know where I'd be without him today really And across all of the work that you've done to date, is there any one thing that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? I am probably most proud of signing the major labels. It's a huge feat to even get in the door with these people. And it's one of my proudest moments in the company of signing them and getting access to their entire catalogue. So how does it work with your company if you want a piece of music? or want to be able to play a piece of music as part of a public performance, you come to you guys. Is that how it works? And then you facilitate it. I don't know. It's explained to me. I'm probably getting it all wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it's not for public performance. So Click and Clear is a music rights tech and licensing company servicing untapped markets, initially focusing on performance sports and fitness worldwide. So sports like dance, gymnastics, figure skating, cheerleading, where music is intrinsic to their routines. So it's actually dealing with the music that they mix, edit and adapt, choreograph to as part of their routine. And 
the lawsuit happened because of that infringement. And so we put deals in place with record labels and publishers to pre-clear their music and make it available instantly on our platform so that cheerleading teams, gymnasts, dance groups can come onto the platform and instantly license the music for their routine music. And then the federations running the competitions are able to license the online rights that they need to then get the content online. Right. Further promoting the sport. So it's quite complex. Yeah, um, that doesn't sound amazingly straightforward, but yeah, I'm sure. No. Well, music rights is complex. I, I, yeah. Kind of yeah. Trying to make it easier for people to understand and then just license what they need when they need it. Then obviously you talking about your proudest moment, getting the major labels on board. I'm sure that was a massive, massive moment for you. Yes. And it, and it takes years to sign those deals. So it's like a really long marathon. I'm sure you popped the champagne, <laughs> literally bouncing off the walls in that moment. How did that feel? Was that a huge pinnacle for you in your business to date? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, signing the first major label, I'd had a pink bottle of champagne that I'd been saving for two and a half years I'd been (laughs) waiting on my shelf for that moment unfortunately I was going to hold a party but we were in the middle of lockdown so uh, um, it didn't happen but I did hold a short online catch up with some friends about it all having some pink champagne together they'd all bought pink champagne themselves and (laughs) we kind of came together on that and that was really beautiful and it's important to acknowledge those moments and celebrate those moments and so yeah that's what we did in celebration and I bet it tasted delicious <laughs> two and a half years later <laughs> <laughs> how did you first hear about the woman of the future program and how did you get involved I think one of the marketing people who was working with us at the time had been looking around at various different awards and came across the women of the future network it was either that or my business mentor had recommended it to us and when I came across it I thought it was absolutely amazing I was shocked to make it on the shortlist and then actually win the award I definitely was very very cheerful in that process and in that moment and then later realized that my ex-CEO from a previous company had also won the same award about 10 years prior wow uh, Christina Vaughan So it was a sort of really beautiful connection there. And uh, I mean, we still keep in touch, but it's been brilliant to be part of the network and to celebrate other women in so many different industries and hear everybody else's stories. And you were listed also as a kindness and leadership leading light last year. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, I was. That was also quite a shock. It was my colleague, David Walsh, who had submitted that. I suppose kindness is one of those things that even now I was saying the other day I got a bit emotional in the meeting and I came out of it thinking oh no I literally balls that up and I think maybe kindness is seen in the same kind of sense that it's changing gradually changing for sure but it is almost seen not as a weakness but as a vulnerability and I personally think that there's a lot to be said for that and I didn't apologize for getting emotional but how I suppose as a business founder do you try and implement the qualities of kindness or to be empathetic, all of those things? How does that work for you? Yeah, well, I see vulnerability as being courageous. When you're vulnerable, you're showing courage. And 
a lot of people have these misconceptions and misunderstandings about being kind and being a kind leader. They think you're a pushover and mm. you let everyone walk over you. And, and it's just absolutely not that. It's completely the opposite. You set boundaries and you're clear about your boundaries and you communicate, over communicate if you can. And I think it's an incredibly important skill. And it's something that I've learned over the last four years, really, and, and really in part meeting my partner he's a wheelchair user and through the work I've done with his charity Parager International we've been traveling around the world meeting different cultures meeting disabled people from different cultures as well and seeing how like when we were in China when we got rejected to even be on a bus because my partner was disabled and experiencing those things you start to realize the misunderstandings that people have and that can really be resolved from having conversations and helping society to better understand what's going on we're all human at the end of the day and with the company I absolutely build it into the structure of the company we have very open communication we're very honest with each other and I always like to take a really collaborative approach and I'm really proud of the culture that we've built in the company so far because everyone feels celebrated they feel appreciated we have flexibility. We don't do these set hours. I don't believe in set working hours. Everyone works around the times that they feel work for them to maximize their potential. And we support their growth. We support their learning. And it's an absolutely key skill to have in any successful company. And that's not to say that, you know, you've got successful companies that take that really kind of more aggressive leadership approach. And that has somehow worked. But when you look at your employees, employee turnover is high and then they don't enjoy their role. And for me, I won't hire anyone who's not going to really enjoy their job. The most important thing for me is flexibility, freedom and satisfaction. And so we do everything to ensure that everybody is happy in their role, constantly assessing strengths, weaknesses, and playing to each other's strengths and weaknesses because we're a team. And we do these career development sessions every quarter to make sure that we all as a team and individually take a step back and reflect on what's going well, what's not going well, how are we feeling about X, Y, and Z. And it's been a really important part of the company culture and continuing to build that company culture yeah self-reflection is huge we never get the opportunity to stop and take stock and think about everything we've achieved in the first instance but also where the areas for improvement might be and like you were saying normalizing kindness to eradicate the ignorance isn't it around you know your example of your partner trying to get on a bus in China it's ignorance to quite an extreme level but also it's then having the kinds of conversations that make it a part and parcel of what we do like this should always be a consideration you need to make these things accessible yeah I mean I'm just baffled how we're in 2021 and we're still having to fight for disabled people's rights to access buildings it's bonkers baffles me okay I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish so what would you describe as your greatest success I guess One of my greatest successes, I would say, is competing at the World Championships of cheerleading and and winning gold. Becoming that world champion was probably one of the best, proudest moments of my life. 
How have you left that to now to tell me that? <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> was it on an individual level or? Uh, so teamwork, yeah. So wow. um, the Parity team, which is a fully inclusive team of disabled and non-disabled athletes working together. And it was the very first time in made history was it being the very first time it was ever even a division at the oh. World Championships. And it was an incredible opportunity and an incredible experience. Wow. My first round of applause on this podcast series goes to you. That's insane. Well done. And your greatest failure? Greatest failure? Um, it's a tough one. I think it's something that I'm still learning, but I would say my greatest failure is not recognising and acknowledging my mental health and mental state early enough. And partly it was because I wasn't encouraged to do so but I think I would have been in a better place mentally with the business had I become more self-aware from an earlier stage and I think I would have experienced things in different ways more positive ways like I do now until you've managed to work through it yeah it's something that people don't talk about enough and I think it's one of my biggest failures is having not talked about mental health and not talked about my feelings early enough. It's good that you're now on the other side and hopefully it sounds like you're positively moving forwards in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. The mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? So I'm obviously a cheerleader and so teamwork is key and that's all about collaboration. Uh, I'm always of the belief collaboration over competition. I'd much rather work with other startups who are doing other things that might help us rather than trying to reinvent the wheel all the time. And in terms of kindness, it's one of those things that needs to just be at the foundation of everything we do leading with kindness but meeting other people and just acting in kind and constantly looking for ways that you can help and support others who don't have the same opportunities that you do you know I acknowledge I'm in a much more privileged position and had a more privileged upbringing and it's what can I do to help support other people so that they can get opportunities that they never thought they'd be able to get. Is there anything that scares you? Um, I mean, there's lots of things that scare me. In in what way? Well, it could be anything, I suppose, from spiders to walking under ladders. I suppose that's more of a aversion than anything else. Or it could be bigger, your purpose in life, or I don't know, death. Which is probably a big existential one. I'll give you a fun one, then maybe I'll okay. give you a okay. Go on another on. one. So. A really weird irrational fear I have is seaweed. <laughs> okay, it, Ex- explain. Seaweed. explain. I, can, I can manage <laughs> eating seaweed. It's swimming in the mm. sea and there being seaweed around. I will not touch the sea if there are some floating seaweed around, or even on the beach. <laughs> it creeps me out. And the reason is because I have this fear of seaweed wrapping around my leg mm. or my arm and like pulling me under and me getting stuck. <laughs> under the water and I was like the little mermaid too many Disney cartoons 
bit slimy as well right and like a little yes. bit it does get tangled yeah I can see I can see where this is coming from I can see yeah, yeah. it totally yeah. wraps around you my brothers <laughs> used to throw seaweed on me all the time yeah, and we'd be swimming yeah. and, you know as they do brothers yeah yeah so that's a kind of fun one and then I guess the more serious something I'm scared of is I'm scared of failure I think many people are scared of failure and something that I've really built in with with all my cheerleading is I get fearful of being thrown in the air sometimes and it going wrong and falling and hurting mm. myself and it's kind of it's just face your fears and just do it anyway is how I try and get over that. It's interesting because recently we've had the 13 year old skate border sky brown win at the olympics and i think most of us find it fascinating that about 18 months ago she had a horrific accident where she fell like 15 feet and i suppose there are the parallels then in cheerleading to a point i don't know if the heights are the same but like you were saying to stand that the fearfulness of being dropped and injuring yourself and things like that is that just something because you can't really hold back, can you, in these stunts and, you know, the tricks that you're doing and what have you. But it must be in the back of your mind. Getting injured? Well, yeah, to a point. Yeah. I just, I don't know what could happen. Like, you don't want to go worst case scenario because that's a little bit pessimistic. But do you think about that when you're up in the air and being thrown around? Sometimes. Not so much when I'm up in the air. It's more like before I'm about to go up. I'm like, right. oh, this could go wrong. Or sometimes a stunt will will go funny and I'll fall and I'm like oh my goodness what am I going to do I need to quickly try and save myself and, mm, and manage yeah. it we do practice how to fall right and that's important you know and actually I think in life we should practice failure we should set ourselves things to do to fail so we learn to get comfortable with failure because you can't push the boundaries without failing and I think that's another important skill to learn absolutely What's left on your to-do list? Well, I've obviously got quick and clear at the moment. I'm working towards making that very successful and hopefully IPOing that at some point or getting that acquired. But I actually have another company that I'm really keen on starting and probably a couple other companies really that I'm keen on starting. And one of them is kind of in the disability space. So that's a big thing on my to-do list. Another big thing is getting Parachir into the Paralympics and helping to support the growth of that sport around the world. You're very inspirational, Chantelle. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. And I'm hoping that everyone listening will take lots of really brilliant guidance and insight into the world of what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And yeah, just thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.